Hello and welcome to Scanning Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we will provide summaries and discussion of some of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter over at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I am one of your hosts, Andrei Krenikov. And I'm Dr. Sharon Joe. And this week we will discuss uh, some cool articles around AI voice acting tool that's getting better at recreating video game voices. We'll talk about uh, how Microsoft has acquired an AI powered moderation tool. We'll chat a bit about MIT's research on, on deep neural networks and how that explains how the brain processes language, um, as well as a bit more about Clearview AI coming back, a bit more on Tesla coming back at us, and finally landing on a fun note related to Dolly in Russia. Yeah, so some uh, good variety going on this week. And uh, starting off, as usual, with our application stories, we got the first one. AI voice acting tool XVA Synth gets even better at recreating video game voices. Uh, so this is kind of a fun story. Uh, we've already uh, talked about something similar in the past where uh, there's been demonstrations where you can use AI to generate basically voice acting for video games. And in particular, people have done this for mods. So they, instead of having voice actors, you can make a mod and have characters that sound like in the original, but you don't need to actually have voice actors. You can just uh, have an AI do it for you. And it turns out that there's a tool created by a modder uh, called XVA Synth that is freely out there and you know available to... Um, be used by any modders and it's now there's a version 2.0 and it has kind of a lot of features, a lot of voices in it, a lot of control over energy and, and things like that. So yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I think this is really cool that it's open source. Uh, we were just chatting about how, you know, indie game developers don't have super high margins. So um, they would probably love to just grab these for mods or for um, being made into their into their games. Uh, and I think this is a really exciting direction for synthetic voices. Yeah, it's certainly cool. I do think that it's a little bit in the ambiguous area in terms of you can uh, base uh, the voices that you generate on existing characters, like, I don't know, characters from Bioshock Infinite or Fallout 3, like particular characters or particular voices from these existing games, which is uh, definitely a gray area where it's not like they licensed those voices from those actors, right? Um, but then again, this is for mods, so I think as long as you stay in a sort of not commercial aspect, I could see this being okay. Uh, but we, we have talked about it being sort of definitely uh, a question mark as to how this will evolve in terms of actors licensing out their voice and stuff like that. I think them opening this up as an open source tool first will invite that and hopefully they'll adapt that over time. I think they just want to show that the technology works and then hopefully they will be, you know, paying those actors or somehow striking something there. For sure. And it's interesting. Yeah, it's cool to see also that I think it's 
basically one software engineer who built this, uh, Dan Ruta. So <laughs> cool to see what uh, passionate people can do, I guess, in their spare time. And on to our next article, Microsoft acquires AI-powered moderation platform to hat. And so announced today, uh, Microsoft has a acquired uh, Two Hat, which is this AI content moderation platform. Um, the amount was not disclosed, uh, but they've been working together for the past few years on uh, proactively moderating gaming and non-gaming experiences for Microsoft. Um, and it sounds like it's been fairly successful. Uh, so Microsoft has taken that in-house um, but according to, you know, research, uh, there's, there's a considerable amount of online harassment. Four in 10 Americans have personally experienced some form of it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's important to have platforms like these helping with moderation. I know there are a lot of famous platforms that are known to be, um, poorly moderated or, you know, very heavily user moderated, such as Reddit. Um, thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, we were just chatting. Uh, it's interesting that it was founded in 2012 by a person who was a security specialist at Disney Interactive, uh, working on the safety and security team for Club Penguin. So uh, this person certainly has experience with the sort of issues of cyberbullying and harassment on the web. And Club Penguin is especially used by children who are, I would say, especially kind of susceptible to the sort of issues. Um, so certainly I think automated AI powered moderation is something we want to have uh, that you know, would help tackle this huge thing where human moderation is just not going to scale. And um, it's also interesting to see that the Canadian law enforcement uh, uses um, or works with a company to train AI to detect uh, child exploitative material, uh, such as content that, you know, is inappropriate. So yeah, overall, seems like a good acquisition. Uh, Microsoft, of course, has Xbox, uh, was gaming platform. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to work together and you know make sure that gamers don't get too crazy. Club Penguin definitely didn't have any harassment. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> definitely, probably a breeding ground for cyberbullying back in the day. Uh, so, a very apt person uh, to be handling it. Um, and and just to be clear, that just as like an extra note, they are also catching things you know that aren't you know that do handle like bad grammar, awkward spelling, because that is rampant in the internet. Um, on, uh, in terms of ways to get around some of these moderation strategies, and so um, having a dedicated force for that, I think, is really important. And it almost makes me think of just um, cybersecurity in general. You know, like cybersecurity also feels like you know cyberbullying. It's often this um, it's separate entity and separate company, really, really focused on doing it well. Yeah, exactly. And I think having been around since 2012, I would hope that they're pretty mature and not just like, you know, a startup with just trying deep learning at it, which is not going to work that effectively or that robustly. Moving on to some discussion of new research, we have MIT's latest AI research using deep neural networks explains how the brain processes language works. 
so this is about a paper called The Neural Architectural Language Integrative Reverse Engineering Converges on a Model for Predictive Processing, a bit of a mouthful. The basic idea is that we have uh, these neural models, neural networks that process uh, text speech. So there is, you know, different kinds of tasks where you could train neural networks for question answering, uh, autocomplete, things like that. And so what they did was gather, train neural networks to do this task and then have people do the same task and then see if after being trained for the task, the neural networks could then predict uh, the uh, neural activity of the people. So they've had like readings of fMRI and see if the neural network could actually predict what happens in our brains of people as they do the same task. And they showed that at least for one of these tasks, you get some amount of accuracy. You can, you know, to some extent predict what is going to go happen in the human's brain, as well as to predict how well the person would do. So interesting combination of machine learning and neuroscience here. Uh, what do you think, Sharon? You know what I think. <laughs> yeah, you were a bit skeptical. I am super skeptical of stuff like this, especially when I see, I don't know, just this correlation between, you know, how neural networks think versus how humans think. Um, so to dig deeper into what's going on, I think the article very much inflates what's going on uh, wording-wise. Um, and I think the paper itself might be inflating some of that as well, um, or at least at least it presents some re uh, results that are quantitative uh, that we can kind of look at and pick at. Uh, so basically it's trying to, you know, do look at language models that do next word predictions so the GPT variants are very much in that um, and uh, based on you know those see if they can transfer learn to predict some of these you know like how human brain uh, scans go and then look at the correlation or something like that um, I, I do uh, feel very skeptical uh, when it comes to these types of work because I don't often see baselines towards well, what if you transfer learn to something else, a different, you know, regress to some other task? Because uh, that could be just as <laughs> just as easy. There could be, you know, like it doesn't necessarily mean that the patterns done in the language, like learned by the language model, are the same as the patterns learned like the human uses. Um, so I, I do find that somewhat skeptical. Uh, also, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it does look like the humans were also supposed to do next word prediction. And that doesn't mean we naturally do it in the way that the experiment presented it, right? Like when I read things, I'm not sure I'm doing like next word prediction exactly in my head, uh, but, but they presented it to humans that way. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a good reason to be skeptical. And it doesn't mean that deep learning networks work the same as human brains or even similar. So it's it's not too clear how to really interpret this, aside from there's some correlation. So it's maybe in some ways similar. It's also interesting, uh, just looking at the paper, which has a lot of details, obviously, that we can cover. But one of the weird details is you also have a correlation if you just don't train the neural network. If you just have a large transformer model, <laughs> it also can correlate on exactly. this task. So, yeah, it's it's not 
too obvious. Uh, in the abstract, they do say that this is consistent with a long-standing hypothesis that the brain's language system is optimized for predictive processing. So I would say uh, I would give the benefit of a doubt to these researchers who are probably much more informed as to some of the details here. But uh, yeah, shouldn't be taken as anything too meaningful aside from sort of a headline that um, this tells us a little bit that there might be some correlation and that's interesting and we should continue studying it. Right. And on to our next article, making machine learning more useful to high stakes decision makers. Uh, and this is an article that is based on the paper, Sybil, understanding and addressing the usability challenges of machine learning in high stakes decision making. Okay, so this is very much um, a study around uh, usability uh, and kind of the downstream use of machine learning. And when we put it in the hands of users, what do they think of a model's predictions? And often uh, what, what these researchers have found is that when, when people are given um, uh, an analytics tool and they see um, what's going on, they actually want to know the factors going in, why, the why behind um, the answers that they're getting. Uh, and they specifically examined the usability challenges in child welfare screening. Um, and so this was done in collaboration with the child welfare department in Colorado. And they looked at how these call screeners uh, were assessing their cases with the help of uh, machine learning predictions. And basically the uh, call screeners really wanted to see why uh, a machine learning algorithm predicted a certain risk for a child. Um, and this is predicting that a child will be removed from their home within two years. Um, so a very important uh, kind of uh, thing to be predicting there. Yeah, exactly. So this is saying like, instead of understanding how internally this works or like visualizing the network structure or weights or whatever, you really want sort of a high level uh, explanation of why does this model think what it does? Why is it making this prediction? And, you know, should I trust it or shouldn't I? And uh, that helps a lot with understanding how to interpret those predictions. And yeah, I think this study is really cool. Uh, they This has been going on for two years. They uh, looked at, the researchers looked at seven factors that make uh, models less usable. So there was like things like lack of trust, and disagreements between humans and a model. And then they, some of them flew to Colorado to actually work with call screeners in a child welfare department. And so they, you know, did a user study where these call screeners actually interacted and they observed teams of screeners uh, for like 10 minutes at a time to understand how this works. So. Super, super, I think, important research. Uh, there's a lot of applications where I think things like this would be useful, obviously, for medicine, for other things. And I think this sort of human-computer interaction research, ACI, is less common with AI, but definitely this is showing that it can be very useful. And on to our ethics and society stories. And first of all, we have... One thing that we keep coming back to, we've probably talked about this like half a dozen times, uh, Clearview AI. 
So if you haven't uh, listened to our many discussions of it, Clearview AI is a company that sells facial recognition. You can take a photo of a person and that will match uh, that uh, photo to someone's identity. It'll give you the name of who that person might be based on their face. And they are selling this commercially. Uh, so they scraped like 10 billion photos from the internet. You may be in their database. There is in fact a good chance that you are. If your image is out of there publicly, they may have scraped it and included it in their database. So it's been pretty controversial. There's a lot of lawsuits going on, uh, but this story is about how they underwent uh, underwent testing by the National Institutes of Standards and Technology to basically evaluate kind of the accuracy of their algorithm. And in that sense, they worked somewhat well. It uh, their product at least is accurate in correctly matching two photos of the same person although that's not what they sell. So, you know, something at least their algorithm works sort of well, but uh, maybe not what we really care about. Uh, what do you think, Sharon? Well, um, I think it's first great that, uh, that there is kind of this study uh, going on um, or rather test going on. Um, it is interesting that the Clearview CEO uh, called the results, quote, an unmistakable, unmistakable validation of his company's product. Um, so um, it does feel like that this confirmed that they're, you know, at least accurate among other, um, other similar companies and algorithms. Um, but I don't think it necessarily means they're matched up to the best um, or that they uh, had they took data that was, you know, theirs to take, especially if it was like 10 billion photos. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily going to make me feel better about them. Uh, and this test they took was not even what they sell. They sell, take a photo and match it to a name. He was just saying, can you predict if two photos are of the same person or not? And they haven't released this other test for some reason. So, yeah, not telling you much. And it's good to know that it would work well, you know, since federal um, police agencies use it and things like that. We don't want it to not work well. But all the ethical issues, all the reasons this might not be needed in the first place are still there. And on to our next article in ethics, uh, Tesla pulled the latest FSD beta from owners' cars today. Uh, and FSD stands for full self-driving. So uh, Tesla actually did roll back their latest FSD beta um, because it was having some issues and this was very unexpected. Uh, and Elon Musk actually did confirm the downgrade um, and said that uh, actually, that this only underscores the need for public betas. Um, uh, and it was because there were uh, some issues uh, with left turns at traffic lights um, and that they're working on the fix. Um, so it's good that they, you know, rolled things back if 
things weren't uh, working well, um, but it definitely like things are kind of moving very quickly in the space and things are being rolled out very quickly. Yeah, it was interesting. I saw around when this happened, there were multiple Reddit posts reporting that their card did something weird after the update. <laughs> so I guess it was kind of pretty widespread. And yeah, this is an interesting story. I think this idea of beta testing software for self-driving is um, interesting because obviously if you really are going out to your beta testing, then you could have actual accidents where people who aren't signed in for this beta program get hurt. Uh, but at the same time, Tesla is limiting who can have the beta by their like safety score according to their metrics. And beta testing does mean that eventually you might roll it out in a safer way. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's uh, I think, not obvious to me if this is the best way to do it or not. But I guess the good news is they could roll it back as soon as they saw issues and nothing bad actually happened. Right, right. And on to our last article that is fun. Um, it is titled Rue Dolly, uh, generating images from text descriptions or the largest computational project in Russia. All right, so Dolly was uh, a model uh, kind of announced by OpenAI. Um, and since that announcement, it was an announcement of a, a model that where you could enter, you know, a multimodal model with text and images. So you could enter an avocado chair famously, and it would produce images of avocado chairs that were completely new. Um, and since the release of Dolly, uh, Chinese researchers have been working on this, um, but also in Russia, as announced recently. Uh, so they came out with, oh, what is known as Rue Dolly, you know, very, very, very different name, I see. Um, but the XX large, like the largest one is 12 billion parameters. Um, so uh, very cool that this is coming out everywhere. It does sound like it is useful. And it sounds like Russia once again into the game. Yeah, I think people on Reddit were pretty excited by it. You know, uh, when all this VQGAN stuff, when that was popular with Clip, it was interesting to see there was this sort of um, community activity of developing these uh, collab notebooks so everyone could just hop on and play with it. And something similar is happening here. Now that the model is open sourced, people are sort of making it usable in the English language and you know making it super easy to just type in text and see images. And uh, yeah, it's it, as we've seen with VGAN clip, it's a lot of fun to do these sort of like image from text things. I will say their avocado chairs are a little underwhelming compared to the OpenAI <laughs> Dali, uh, but still, these look really nice. So if you haven't seen Dali, you might want to look it up because it is it is a bit surreal how good the images that you get from text are. Right, and, and these images look really great too. So um, yeah, they don't look as good, but they do look very, very good. Uh, and so may, I guess may the race begin, you know, or continue rather. Uh, it's actually quite exciting to see uh, <laughs> the different countries in a sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I found out from this article that there's also a Chinese model uh, yeah. released mm -hmm. that has 4 billion models, uh, uh, parameters. So 
Yeah, I think that's good. You know, we also seen it as a GPT uh, free. OpenAI also developed it, hasn't released the model, uh, and then others have gone on to recreate at least a version of it and uh, are working on it. So it's it's cool to see that you can't m- maybe can't do anything truly proprietary if you know a basic idea, then others will release it uh, open source. Right. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discuss here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. As usual, with any podcast, uh, please subscribe if you aren't. And if you are, please give us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify or whatever. It would help us a lot. Be sure to tune in next week.